Herbert studied ancient history. The shadows were old, but even the ancients were young. The last great war against the shadows was 10,000 years ago. If you go to Zahadu, you will die. used to fall asleep in history class. Hello, and welcome to Who Are You? It's a Babylon 5 watchcast by a couple of strangers who are continuing to get to know each other over one of their favorite shows from their childhood, Babylon 5. I'm Laura. And I'm Ben. I'm back. I wasn't just a one-time bit, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So we're doing something different today, listener. We have Ben back with us. So this is due to Jafar thought he had a COVID infection a month or two ago, and we went to Star Trek Las Vegas, and then he got a real COVID infection, my friends. We are the so sorry. The third time he's had COVID. Yeah, we're so sorry for Jafar. His his voice was really shot this week. We tried to put it off, but we needed a ringer. So our favorite super fan, Ben, is back. Well, that is an awfully long way to go on behalf of this guy. Yay. So... <laughs> Tell us, Ben, since you and I are essentially strangers at this moment. That's pretty true, yeah. <laughs> Who are you? Who are you? Who are you? Do you know who I am? Well, I am a former podcast host. That's mm -hmm. Jafar and I used to have a podcast together. That is something we did for over a hundred episodes. He has talked about it. And that is why I was very, very excited when he started to do a new one. And also I am a new Babylon 5 fan. Uh, a new fan, huh? Yes. I didn't, didn't watch it as I watched. I saw one episode as a kid. I was very, very young and it was on the TV at my grandmother's house <laughs> and she had one of those TVs where she did not have cable. She had one of the big antennas that you had to turn a dial and it would point the antenna oh, yes, in different yes. directions. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And she could get three channels sometimes. And I was at her <laughs> yeah. house for a weekend and was trying to watch TV. And I saw uh, an episode come on and I was like, why isn't Chekhov wearing his Star Trek uniform? Oh, so it was a Bester episode. This is clearly a Star Trek. It's in space. There are aliens walking around. What is going on? And I was very, very confused. But it was on my my to-do list as I like got older and learned, you know, oh, it's this different show. And since you guys started the show, I started watching as well, along with my wife. And mm -hmm. we have, as of a few months ago, watched the whole thing. Oh, wow. So since you guys started the show, we have binge watched all of Babylon 5. I really love it. There's a lot of really, really fun stuff going on. There's some really interesting tones and different stuff going on. It's also interesting seeing a sci-fi show where it's more or less one person's like thing. Sure, yeah. Where you, where you don't have the other you know shows, things where it's like, Hey, I'm the writer for this episode, and I really want to talk about X. It's like, well, that doesn't make a ton of sense. But okay, I guess we'll we'll do your weird talking about whatever subject you want to do, and we'll shoehorn it down to the character that makes the most sense to. We're looking at you, Star Trek. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I mean, that also happens in, you know, Battlestar Galactica or, mm. you know, other stuff where it's just like, why are we doing a weird organized crime episode? Like, is this really what everybody should be worrying about? Is this really <laughs> the sort of thing you would send fighter pilots to deal with? <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was a delight. And then ever since then, I have been on a couple of sojourns to different places to help Jafar round out his Babylon 5 merch collection. And I was really, really excited when I found him his Sinclair aircraft plate that he now hangs on his wall. Yeah, that was a really good get. I love it. Yeah, so that's that's it. I am a person who loves podcasting, really glad to be on the mic again. And as of a little over a year ago, a Babylon 5 convert. Wonderful. 
Yeah. Wonderful. I didn't realize you were a new convert. I thought that yes. you were like us and you'd watched as a child. So no, I, I'm I'm new to it. And it's it's one of those fun things where, oh, man, I've really got into the show from 25 years ago. Who <laughs> wants to talk to me about my all my, my weird theories? And, you know, why will nobody talk to me about your car? Yeah. <laughs> who is this guy? Why is everyone so interested in him? being friends with Jafar and then the wonderful Who Are You community? I now get mm -hmm. to talk to people about those things and make jokes and laugh at funny memes. Yeah, you are in the right place, my friend. I'm Absolutely. so glad that we're a home for that community. <laughs> <laughs> well, so Ben and I were talking before off mic that it's kind of sad we don't get Jafar for this episode because this is one of the big ones. Today we're talking about In the Shadow of Zaha Doom. This is season two, episode 17 per HBO Max order. That's right. Getting near the end of season two. We really are. Yeah. And I think that we might be approaching our 50th episode. I'm not totally sure, but. In, with the uh, interstitials and stuff, it's got to be close. Yeah, we're getting close. So we're getting close to the end of season two and we're getting close to 50th episode. So we'll have to do something special, right? I don't know. Chud two. We'll see. <laughs> Chud two. <laughs> you keep working on him, okay? <laughs> I, I'm doing my best. <laughs> but we open this episode We're with Zach and Garibaldi. And they're discussing the current Narn refugee problem while Narns are just like streaming in behind them from the docking bay. Yeah, it's wonderful when you get a, a start with Space TSA. Not great when it's wounded refugees. Mm -hmm. And also you get this really, I think, important note from Alan where he's talking about how we don't have the resources to take care of these people. And that might, you know, that ties into something that happens later in the uh, the episode where... Earthdome has a bunch of resources for other stuff, <laughs> but not for war refugees. Right. Yeah. I've, I've got a note about that, too. I, I did catch myself thinking about that there was another episode where Jafar brought up that I guess they were so short on extras that they kind of just had people circling in the back. <laughs> and I was like, God, I hope they're not doing that in the non-refugee scene. <laughs> I mean, it it would work. They'd you know just have the wall stop right there and you just keep going around. <laughs> <laughs> just limp on the other side, you yep. know? Move your bandage real quick. I don't think they did that here, but I couldn't get the image out of my mind. So yeah, they're they're just feeling swamped under the mm -hmm. captain's directives on how to handle these people. We cut to Veer. And yes. he's approaching Mr. Morden. The best scene in the episode, one of the best scenes in all mm -hmm. of all of Babylon 5. I'm so glad I get to be here for it. Yeah, he, he delivers one of the most iconic lines in this entire series in this very scene, like at the very beginning of this episode. So apparently he sent for Ambassador Malari, but mm -hmm. Peter Jurisic must have been busy this week because he is not in this episode. Nope. <laughs> yeah, this is one of those things where it's just like, hasn't at this point, hasn't Londo proven he can do his job just as well from home? Why does mm -hmm. he need to get called in to have a meeting face to face? Like, don't they have? this communication stuff down like mm -hmm. i don't know maybe this is unrelatable something nobody can can identify with but having to go into your you know your halls of power when you've proven you can do your job from here yeah and i mean there's there's like zoom there right so right <laughs> you can just you can just get on the zoom anytime that you need to talk to malari why does he have to go exactly yeah so weird so weird so mr morden tries to find out what veer wants <laughs> and that's when we get the best line of the entire series. I'd like to live just long enough to be there when they cut off your head and stick it on a pike as a warning to the next 10 generations that some favors come with too high a price. I want to look up into your lifeless eyes and wave like this. I want your head on a pike. <laughs> I want to live mm -hmm. just long enough to see you die. <laughs> yeah, which is uncharacteristically aggressive for our man Veer. Like, yeah, it is It is a very vicious side of Veer that I wonder, like, we don't see a ton of Veer without Londo. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if it's outside of the Centauri structure that he's used to, mm -hmm. if he suddenly feels a little bit more free to be himself or say, like, the things he really wants to say. Yeah. Because he is definitely a guy who's been, you know, he has been put upon. He has seen the stuff going on in the last episode. He's just like he even came out and said, like, hey, you can change the path you're on. You know, you can do different stuff. Mm -hmm. And Londo was like, 
nah. <laughs> He's just like, I hate, I hate all of this. And you know what, Morden? I hate you. Yeah. I, I read a little bit of research since I didn't have Jafarid here to carry me. Yeah. And, I did uh, not, I did not read any old, uh, <laughs> old angel fire websites to prepare yeah. for this. I'm sorry. You're not getting that Jafar content. No, no, not expected of a guest. You're a guest at our house. You don't have to do all the research. But I did read a little bit that JMS said that he really wanted Veer to feel like that guy that gets underestimated all the time. And this is his moment where we realize that we've been underestimating him a little bit. It definitely comes across in this scene. And we get two, count them, two Veer waves. <laughs> and it, 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 those always make me happy. Yeah, I can't wait for more. <laughs> so he does pick up some information from Mr. Borden that's for Londo, presumably. And then Veer takes off. We never learn what's on that crystal, do we? No, we certainly not in this there. episode. Yeah. yeah. Presumably we'll figure it out later. Something will come up later, I would hope. But who knows? Or it could just be, hey, this is an ongoing thing. The The tendrils are continuing to connect into each other. Londo mm -hmm. is becoming more and more ingratiated. Yeah, we, we just got to touch in with Londo all the time because mm -hmm. we need him. Yeah. In the next scene, Garibaldi delivers some bad news to Sheridan about the refugees. Sheridan agrees that, you know, we can ship the healthiest ones out right away. Yep. Let's save MedLab for those that are sickest and dying. He refuses to let the dying die in the docking bay. So, yeah, very humane of him. Garibaldi points out that Earthdome is going to say that we don't have enough money for this. It's that sort of age-old problem, right? Sheridan doesn't care. And he's, he just happens to be, while he's in his office here, flipping through some files from the Icarus on the TV and right. sorting through his wife's old stuff. So Garibaldi asks him about it. Like, what are you doing? And so Garibaldi decides to flip through the files on the TV. And lo and behold, who, who pops should up? appear? Yeah. It's Mr. Morden. And Sheridan doesn't know Mr. Morden because he wasn't in the pilot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Sheridan hasn't encountered Mr. Morden yet. And as far as Sheridan knows, this is a man who should be dead. Exactly. Right? Yeah. This is just another one of a picture, uh, group of pictures of dead people as far as he knows. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, he's incredulous off to theme and then back from theme. He he's asking, you know, why didn't the station's computers detect this dead man on board? Right. And <laughs> for me, this starts like, a whole long line of why did no, like the shadows and Morden seem to be very together. Like mm -hmm. they know their game plan and stuff. And it's just like, why doesn't he have a fake ID? Why does he have the same <laughs> <Yeah>. haircut? <laughs> like, why didn't he just report that he was alive? Like he yeah. has a whole like cover story. Mm -hmm. Why didn't he just come back and say, oh man, I got knocked out and I'm back now. Everything's okay. You know, yeah. why, why did why did they do nothing? Yeah, this is a bit of a plot hole for me. And I think it's also a harder one to write around in today's era. Like in today's yeah. era, you'd have to to involve the shadows and like some fake identity stuff. Right. Like, right. It, it would be a different kind of reveal if you were writing this plot today, I think. Yeah. Because we know now that computers can do those kind of checks really fast. In the 90s, you could probably talk an audience through this and they right like quick. Yeah. the idea of the paperwork got lost you know yeah <laughs> yeah that was definitely an easier sell in the 90s absolutely so sheridan has got his hackles way up he orders garibaldi to find mr morton immediately mm -hmm. so the whole station security is going to be crawling for this one dead guy we cut to talia we're yep. gonna have talia in this episode haven't seen her much in a bit yeah, she's actually involved in two storylines in this one. So Yeah, she yeah. gets to be in both kind of the A and the B, sort of. Yeah. She's got a guest in her quarters, which I thought was kind of weird for somebody to just show up at your quarters. But I guess it's a station and you don't have a lot of space. You would assume of. she'd have an office somewhere. Yeah, because like, like her the, bed the is the right there. The resident telepath feels like they should have like at least a vestibule. Uh -huh. The front half of my apartment is my office. The back half is like, where I'm getting dressed, but this guy just walks in and she's like putting on her clothes and like puts on her gloves and everything. And it's just like, yeah. you should have an office. <laughs> <laughs> they shouldn't have to come meet you by your bed. I don't yes. know. It just felt weird. It felt weird for me. So this guy is from the Ministry of Peace. That sounds nice. 
Yeah. There's nothing nefarious there. (laughs) There's nothing weird about the Ministry of Peace, right? No. They joke around the office and call it mini packs. You know why they run the office and call it mini packs? No. It's a reference to George Orwell's 1984. Oh, okay. Yeah, there was a Ministry of Peace in there. And apparently they are aware of it. And so they make office jokes about it. That's another JMS quote that I, I read about. But I don't know. If I was a government official and I worked in an office that had a similar sound to, you know, George Orwell's 1984, I'm not sure that would be my office joke. <laughs> not so sure I like the sound of that. No. Oh, well. But this guy, McAfee, starts putting on a, a really compelling argument to me. Like, look, mm-hmm. we just need to get our house in order. So, like, if you find peace and then you convince three of your friends to accept peace and then they can go out and get three of their friends to have peace like pretty soon you know we're rolling in peace here okay yeah there's we're nothing all sinister have or underhanded going on this isn't going to financially bankrupt anyone <laughs> <laughs> i this is funny because of my notes i also compared his pitch to a timeshare I absolutely, when when that bit came up, I was just like, this feels like everybody's walking away with a timeshare. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, he's he's got a very calculated harmlessness to him, this guest actor. So this is Alex Hyde-White. And I was reading about him. He was born in London, but lived in California. And that's, you know, where he got in the movie business and stuff. So he has that very, like soft britishness british he had the accent but it's starting to go away but it's not completely gone yet yeah yeah he's not british villain for us he's harmless british man who might be a villain yes (laughs) he's not Uh, uh it's not the accent of somebody who's inexplicably playing a roman (laughs) <laughs> like because our, our our romans always have british accents right right also our our nazi allegories often have british accents <laughs> that's well that's true and the if the armband fits yeah speaking of armbands we're yes. gonna get there <laughs> so he tells talia that her superiors back home have identified her as the candidate for this program that he wants to discuss and launch and so she's going to go to that timeshare meeting well she agrees. Right. i have some questions about that but we'll save it for the that scene when we get there. So in MedLab, the computer is committing some horrific HIPAA violations by reading all the patient stats allowed for everyone in the lab to hear. And also, Franklin's been hitting the meth pretty hard. Yes. But the, the thing that happens here, one, Franklin is our only person in MedLab right now. Is he? I did, I, I, there were a bunch of knocked out Narns I saw, but mm-hmm. I did not see any other medical personnel. Oh, man. But I, did, I didn't notice, so I'd have to scrub. Who comes in but our Commander Vanova? Mm-hmm. And we see a, like, passed out on his arm Franklin. Yeah. And what does Ivanova do? She wakes him up to yell at him for not sleeping. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I'm just like, your boy was asleep? He yeah. wasn't doing the thing? <laughs> you could give him a minute. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> just give him 15 yeah, but she's she's got a big issue with where he's sleeping, I think, and that he needs to go yeah. home and do that. She orders him to take some time off, get some sleep, maybe don't hit the meth so hard. Yeah, and I believe you guys mentioned this is the first time he references using stims. I think it is the first time he references using them himself. Like, yep. I, I think maybe there's been a reference in the past to him saying he had used them, but I think this is our first active Babylon 5 in season definitely using stems yeah and we've heard of other doctors using them and and abusing them you know we've heard of doctors losing their careers in earlier episodes season one but he you know talks about how they're totally safe which makes me think he has a little syringe in his desk that says don't talk to me until i've had my stems just like people have their coffee cups now i'm awake i'm awake what is it what is it what what yeah 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 not weird at all so he goes to get some sleep. Yep, six hours of sleep and then a meal. And a, a breakfast that she will meet him at. She's holding him to that. And then we've got some either like random checkpoints on the station or maybe Mr. Morton's trying to leave. I couldn't tell if this was Space I, I believe it was. I believe it was him trying to leave. Yeah, so. And I don't know, maybe if you had a, a different co-host, they could talk to you about 
quote unquote random TSA screening checks. Oh yeah. I, I I'm sure Jafar is kicking himself for not being here on this episode because uh <laughs> I don't know if he's told you about this. He somehow always gets randomly screened. You know, I just have no idea how that's happening. <laughs> you can't look at him and tell me you think he is legit. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. It's definite random selection here. And it's Zach. It happens to be Zach doing it. Yeah. Morton tries to like Jedi mind trick his way out of this. He's like, well, then he oh. just tries to bum rush past him. And it's just yeah. like, my dude, you are, your whole thing is keeping the lowest of low profiles. You're, you know, you should have a, you know, you should be saying like, how do you know who I am? You know, never bring up your manager. Like he is, his whole thing is like fly completely under the radar. And then he tries to just barge past Alan. Yeah. Bad move. And then Alan is immediately backed up by like seven people, PPGs out. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, well, there's your budget overruns right there. Did you have this at every single exit point? Uh, just. <laughs> Are there, you know, 50 other security agents just sitting there hiding around the corner, just like, well, maybe he'll show up at airlock three. <laughs> yeah, we just we just covered the station with yeah. our security personnel and their guns all getting overtime, obviously. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, because yeah, we're we're that kind of station now. So they take him off to an interrogation room and Sheridan is pissed. Yep. He gives a picture of his wife over to Morden. Yeah, clearly the actress's headshot, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Morden doesn't appear to recognize her at nope. all. Very strange. Well, but they also said it's like 130-something people on the oh, ship. Okay. Like, okay. do you know ev like everybody in your office well enough that if somebody angrily handed you a picture a few years later, would be able to recognize them? Yeah, I guess you have a solid point there because we have a... I'm at a small financial institution of about 80 people, and there are some people who I don't think I've seen their face before. <laughs> right. So we're just okay. Hey, this person like you were on, you know, the in the choir with three years ago or, you know, mm -hmm. this person you took a college class with. Yeah. And it's just like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. I was I was a little bit on Morden's side for some of this stuff. <laughs> I don't know. I was thinking of it as like you're all on a small ship together. Surely you've all seen each other's faces, but I don't I don't know for sure. So Morden's got this like immediate amnesia cover story. Like right. he memorized this thing, right? And it's a pretty good one. Mm -hmm. But it's also the kind of one that it's like you could have sent this off to like some backwater base and been like hey i'm actually alive got found by this transport here not actually dead can you reactivate my id card yeah <laughs> and then no one would have thought to look for you <laughs> yeah so he's he says that he was possibly outside the ship because he was found in an eva suit picked up by this passing transport but didn't remember anything and like he he gives some crap about it. it. Took him months to remember his own name and whatever. Something went wrong with the Icarus's wax-based faster than light. Uh. <laughs> so you know, Sheridan's like, "Well, why didn't you tell her Central you were alive?" And he's, you know, says he tried to tell yep. her Central, and they must have lost it. And I do like this cool trick that he does during this argument, where he like pushes the table into Morden to keep him from getting up. Yeah. <laughs> like wow okay but Sheridan we see a very dark side of Sheridan in this whole episode we do but the the one thing that really gets to me is Morden drops the you haven't accused me of a crime you can't hold me mm -hmm. and I'm like using a dead guy's ID is a crime even <laughs> if you are the dead guy <laughs> like there That's are, a there, good point this isn't a we have no law to fix your crime this is we've got a bunch of laws like these are like <laughs> This is all identity theft stuff. Like, if this guy's dead and you're using his stuff, you got to prove you're him. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's yeah. got to be at least seven laws that they could, like, they're not huge laws. It's not like murder. Uh -huh. You could be holding him on conspiracy of, to commit identity theft or something. Yeah. Okay. So that sort of, like, destroys the whole problem for most of this episode, doesn't right. it? Right. <laughs> <laughs> whoops yeah you can't you can't quite write this episode in general i think the same way anymore i mean it's it's very compelling i was just sitting there and i was just like no there's gotta like at this point in time 
there's got to be laws for like you show up at a space station using a dead guy's ID. But Sheridan's going the route of he's going to use Morden's dead status as a reason that he can hold him without yes. charges indefinitely. He's not even bothering, you know, putting together his legal premise. And, you know, Morden makes a couple of vague threats, but we move off to a scene with Dr. Franklin and Ivanova instead. Yes, they're at breakfast now, presumably six hours later. Yeah. Franklin's still feeling pretty maudlin, which is a thing that I think doctors have a right to do in this situation. Yep. He's been haunted by his dead patients. They're both lamenting the Narn and Centauri war situation. And then they get in a good old-fashioned religious discussion. Yeah. This gets a little concerning for me because... If I find out my doctor thinks he sees the eyes of God every time he looks into the eyes of a dying person, I'm going to say, hey, maybe get me a new doctor. I, I don't want I don't want Franklin searching for a religious experience in my passing. Yeah, I would really like you to be focused right now. Yeah. Like he doesn't seem like, hey, I, I maybe let a few go. So I could see God a little bit more, but you know, <laughs> maybe I'm not yeah. taking my chances. Yeah, he's he tells us about this foundationalism idea, which I I can summarize it, and I'm not sure I'm doing it correctly, but it, it's basically you'll never truly define or see God because there's an infinite number of points in between yourself and God. Yes. And the closest Franklin gets is seeing the reflection of God when someone is dying. And he's seen it a lot lately, and he's getting unnerved he's getting upset by that and this actually a thing he brings up in this this uh scene i really loved because it kind of segues into the bit from season one where they line up all of the different religious practitioners mm, yes 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 and so we know a lot of our current religious practices survive into the hypothetical babylon 5 future we know mm. judaism still exists yeah. But I like the idea that there are new religious ideologies and fundamentals out there that were formed because, hey, there's aliens everywhere now. Yeah. Now we have to grapple with that. Well, and then we have to also grapple with what do you know, what do they believe versus what I now have access to? Like, mm -hmm. does everybody know that weird kid in college who's like, nah, I follow follow Centauri religion. I've got idols all over my place and I'm getting smashed. <laughs> the Centauri gods do seem like college gods. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. I like the idea that, you know, that whatever it is in our brains that we look for religion keeps evolving once we right. get into space. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not the OG Star Trek. Oh, there's none of this. It's mm -hmm. there's just access to more of it. And everybody's search for greater meaning in the uh, in the universe. So in the interrogation room, Sheridan's, you know, giving him more crap about the amnesia story. The cover story. Yeah. And he uses the uh, the age old tactic of just keep asking questions and don't let him answer, because how can you catch somebody in a lie if you just keep asking <laughs> questions over and over and over again? What happened to the Icarus? <laughs> yeah, you've never caught anybody in a lie by just letting them talk. Yeah. <laughs> Just let them talk and talk and talk until they talk themselves into a circle. But what do we know? We didn't go to Garibaldi's homeschool security course. No, we did not. So. <laughs> but we also are getting the timeshare pitch at the same time. Yes. And now it comes with armbands. <laughs> yep. Now, I know that there are perfectly legitimate organizations who wear armbands. I think it's a Red Cross thing. Yes. Military police sometimes do it, but aren't armbands just unsettling? <laughs> well, I, I will say the the LARP group Jafar and I were in had armbands. Yeah. But that was because everybody was just like, no, we don't want to like color code or anything. We all have our own, you know, fantasy clothes. I'm just like, can we at least put on like a forearm band that has our unit logo on it? Yeah. It did no, not catch up. Perfectly legitimate uses of armbands, but in this uh, setting... Oh, this clearly has a connotation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So his pitch, again, he's got his little, you know, if you just get three friends to accept peace and they get three friends to accept peace. Look, do you want to have peace all the time or do you just need peace, you know, three weekends out of the year? You know, that way you don't have to pay for peace year round. 
<laughs> yeah, and you know, we've got to have that peace ourselves before right. we can have peace with others. So they pitch this and of course they lead it with, you know, you're going to get an extra 50 credits per week. Hey, that's why they can't pay for medical care for the Nards. <laughs> yeah, so we're going to launch this night watch program. We're going to pay you all a little extra and I admit that the economics of Babylon 5 are not my strong suit, and I'm not totally sure, like, how does 50 credits translate for us in our minds, right? Did they already have the, we already had the episode where 25 credits a month was enough to make Sheridan sleep in his office, right? Oh, yeah. It was, it was an extra 25 or 30 credits for the And that was a the month. The rent. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And okay. so if 25 credits a month is enough to make somebody be like, the 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 outrage of this like it wasn't a I can't afford this thing it was a mm -hmm. I shouldn't be asked to pay this sort of thing yeah but double that a week it seems like a significant amount of money yeah it it is not insignificant it is yeah. definitely a nice little cherry on the top but you know we lead with that we lead with here's all the extra money you're gonna get and. Zach does actually push back a little and he's like, I can't believe I would be paid 50 credits just to wear your armband. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it becomes clear that Tali is there because she has the ability to detect thoughts. Right. And I thought a telling line in Maccabee's pitch is that they're not interested in actions as much as attitudes. Right. We don't care what you do. We care what you're thinking. <laughs> exactly. We're not worried about catching criminals. That's for the police. This is mm -hmm. for, hey, do you know somebody who might be having subversive thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> very, very 1984 in Sinister, I think. So I have a question and you don't have to have an answer, but... You know, we we brought Talia into this, and he specifically mentioned that Talia's superiors recommended her. Right. So, do you think that is because Psychor is is in with the Night One? Just knowing what you know right now, not knowing what you know from watching the whole series, is Psychor right. in it in bed with Nightwatch, or are they recommending her because they're wanting her to spy on Nightwatch? I would assume. If Psychor was not down with the Night Watch, they would not be talking to Night Watch. They would be okay. doing stuff to undermine Night Watch. Yeah. Like at this point, we've already got a pretty good idea that Psychor was involved in the death of President Santiago mm -hmm. and is, you know, pulling the levers up at the very, very tippy top. So in in my guesstimations from where we're at now, there would not be a new Ministry of Peace. Mm -hmm. without everybody being in on it. Yeah, including Psychor. Exactly. And also, like, if you're going to make a uh, an organization that its big thing is, hey, tow the company line, if you're able to tie that with also some of our members are Psychor, that's really going to be something that pushes the average person to be like, I'm not making any waves. Yeah. I don't know if that person wearing that armband can read my mind or not. Yeah. So I think they complement each other very nicely. And the great thing about this show that you and I both know, because we've seen, at least in my case, much of it. I don't know if I've mm -hmm. seen all of it, actually, but much of it before is we don't just introduce something like this and then not hear from it again. Like, right. Nightwatch is coming back. It's oh, going to be a thing. And they, they make that pretty clear at the end of this episode, I think. So we've got Thought Police. And also, they might be your neighbors. Cool. I did appreciate the juxtaposition of having this quasi-sinister meeting where it's, hey, we just want to find people who might be dangerous to the public safety and then, you know, re-educate them and bring them around. And then it cuts mm -hmm. right to our other storyline where Sheridan is holding somebody without charging them with a crime yeah. <laughs> and interrogating them for 10 hours. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. I, <laughs> I didn't quite notice that. The other thing that I was thinking about about this scene was that we hear this all the time, even today, right? That like, well, why are we helping 
in this case, you know, right. And the, the zeitgeist right now, why are we helping Ukraine when right. we have our own problems here at home? And, and this night watch is going to prey on that. Like we already know earth dome is going to try to prey on that. And a big part of this episode is, you know, these, these poor Narns. And right. Nobody's spending the time to think about, Hey, we've, we've literally seen streams of refugees. We've seen a med lab full of the dead and dying. We know enough how this has been going on that Franklin's quasi traumatized. You know, this isn't like, man, it's been a bad day. This is, man, it's been a bad couple of weeks at the very least. Yeah. Months even at this point. Yeah. So it's a weird juxtapositioning that this, this episode is, is trying to make us think of all these things at once. And I really appreciate that about the writing. So, yeah, we, we go back to the scene where Garibaldi is, you know, ready to, like, hang it up with Right, Sheridan. he's just like, dude, we're, we're done. Which, I don't know, when Garibaldi decides to be by the book and when he doesn't seems to yeah. be as the plot requires. Yeah, He doesn't even kind of be like, hey, as soon as I step outside this door, I'll play it fast and loose. But when I am in this office by the book... And it's like, that seems real arbitrary, my dude. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a, that doesn't flatter you the way you think it does. No. You know, even, but he's saying, even my homeschool security training tells me right. this isn't okay. Like, I can't do this here. For one thing, there are cameras up there. <laughs> did I print out the certificate myself? Yes, I did. But it means something to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, and Garibaldi tries to compromise here. Yes. He says, you know. You let him go. I'll just tail him till we find something to charge him with. Yes, yeah. I will harass this man until he does a crime. <laughs> yeah, which that's just not good enough for Sheridan, I guess. Even though I thought that was a decent compromise from their perspectives. <laughs> well, it's also one of those things that you know once again makes you wonder how many cameras are on Babylon Five. Really? Yes. Like. He's just sitting there with his feet up watching the interrogation. We're not getting like a scene of him like scrubbing through all of Morden's time and being like, well, he's met with these people. He knows these things like mm -hmm. he just talked to Veer a little bit ago. <laughs> like, yeah. He's... So it's just one of those things where it's like, what what police work are you doing outside of berating this man inside of an office for 10, 10 hours there, Sheridan? <laughs> yeah. Do you think they let him go to the bathroom? I would hope so. I, I have to imagine at some point. Ten hours is a long time. So, yeah, Garibaldi ultimately gives Sheridan the ultimatum, you know, the one that never works. The like, yeah. you do this or I go and winds up having to. We get the, the gun and the badge on the table. Yep. Yep. So rough, rough moment there. Back from, a, I presume, a commercial break. Sheridan's got Zach and he's going to turn over the prisoner to him. And also gives him some instructions to just, you know, maybe find Talia. Let's just right. see what Hey, Talia maybe we'll do an do. illegal brain scan. Yeah, you know, no big deal. Hey, it's uh, not a crime to, to scan a dead guy's brain. Yeah, but he's got to meet with Veer first. And in Sheridan's office, Veer is saying, you know, we've got to let, you've got to let this guy go. He's ours. Right. Diplomatic community. I think Veer does a really good job here of not giving his hand away about Morden. We know he hates Morden, right? Yeah, it, it's a really, really interesting juxtaposition with the first Veer scene. Mm -hmm. Because you have to imagine Veer would love nothing more than to see, you know, Garibaldi throw this guy out of an airlock. But he's tied to his, you know, diplomatic mission here. I do what Londo tells me. Londo mm -hmm. says, get this guy out of jail. I get this guy out of jail. Yeah. Stephen first just does a great job in the scene. Oh, you know, fantastic. He's, he's got very, you know, poised at first when he says this. And then as Sheridan gets angrier, you see him start falling into his yep. weirdness a little bit, but he doesn't give anything away. I do have a question for you. Do mm -hmm. you think this is the first time Veer has had to get somebody out of prison for Londo? Oh, Gosh, it can't be, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> so I do wonder, is Veer a little bit like, okay, at least this is something I know how to do. <laughs> yeah. Like, he's like, really, I have to do it for this guy, the one that I hate so much. Right. But he's, he's done it before, right? <laughs> if nothing else, it was a, a drinking buddy or a casino buddy or... Yeah, something happened. A pretty like, lady. We know he's been involved in, like, 
bar brawls and cheating at cards. Something's mm-hmm. happened. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. I think this is not his. He, he's got a script he can fall back on. He knows right. how to do this. Yeah. And this is where my my one plot hole from the beginning comes back a little bit because Sheridan's able to drop the, hey, we haven't charged him with a crime, so diplomatic immunity doesn't apply. <laughs> so, But then again, I, I had to think back to, you know, going to other sci-fi. Even if you didn't do anything wrong, in Trek, if your ship blows up, there's automatic court-martial. Like, yeah. I was just back to it again. Like, there should be things that, like, you're holding Morden for. Mm-hmm. A ship blew up. <laughs> yeah, good point. Like... <laughs> Because he, he does make the point. He could have his wife's murderer in custody. Right. And that's a very solid point. Like, if he's the only person who survived a ship that blew up and nobody knows what was happening when it blew up. There needs to be an investigation. <laughs> right, right. So, yeah, there seems like there should be a mechanism for that. Like, Or even if Morton's totally innocent, there should be a, okay, we need to backtrack to the guys who found you. So we can find some evidence to maybe find out what happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like he's he's obstructing even that now. Yeah. Of course, we know because it didn't actually happen. But yeah, yeah. So he gets Veer out of there by saying this is protective custody, right? <laughs> <laughs> Which is just okay. It's it's like Talia said. It's the letter of the law to defeat the spirit of the law. Exactly. He's just that all over the place. We run into Ivanova in the hallway. She's got the same concerns. We're just hearing them all over again. And Sheridan just keeps keeps moving forward. Yep. But back in the security office, Tali is refusing to do that unauthorized brains again. And then Sheridan gets real underhanded here. Oh, this is just the biggest dick move of all yeah. time, right? Because he knows episode? she's going to be picking stuff up just blatantly. So he... Makes it so that they cross each other in the hallway. Talia immediately starts screaming. Yeah, she's hit with something bad. Some real bad vibes. Terrible pain. She sees some wavy things that we know because we've Mm -hmm. seen the shadows. We see these wavy shadows next to Morden. And she just like collapses into Zach's arms. And has to get taken to med bay. Really, really bad. Which also makes me wonder, like, does Morden like avoid telepaths? I mean... That's the implication, right? Like, he's he's got to. Which would make, like, later in, we get different episodes that are a day with this character, and I, it makes me sad we never got, like, a day with Morden. Like, <laughs> what does he do in a day on, on Babylon 5? I would love all those scenes of him just sitting in a room by himself with two shadows next to him. <laughs> yeah, he's just sitting there staring out into the middle distance, waiting for somebody to come in and be like, aha, I've been expecting you. <laughs> uh-huh. I think I think if you do that episode, you get a couple of characters you're doing at once, and every scene of Morden is just him like sitting somewhere and staring. <laughs> <laughs> I think that'd be great. <laughs> okay, so in med lab, Talia gets checked out. She tries to like describe this experience, and all we, all we can get is really it's horrible. She doesn't yes. know what she saw. She doesn't know what his deal is. But you know, Sheridan comes in and tries to apologize and gets a. Like, Good slap in the face. Yeah. And he earned it. He <laughs> but he earned even, like, it. admits like, yeah, I deserve that. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. He knew he was being an asshole. So, yes, he's got some explaining to do some apologizing, real apologizing to Talia. Mm-hmm. Not this like half ass thing he attempted. And I read that apparently they only did two two shots of this scene, like of the slap, because she did it very hard. <laughs> they didn't want to hurt Bruce Box Lightner. <laughs> I, I well, I appreciate that they went for it because I don't know. I've I've had to slap people on stage before, and yeah. it's the kind of thing like, okay, if you do it once, like I'm not super worried about having hurt you, but like you don't want to practice it. <laughs> We're not gonna yeah. like you know run the scene a couple of times. Yeah, any sort of like physical contact fighting on stage is difficult for me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't I don't like to do it to people, so. Sheridan just takes this all as like confirmation that he's mm-hmm. right. He's on the right track and he should just keep pushing. Franklin actually steps in for a second and says, you know, you can't fix everything. Right. <laughs> Maybe you should back off a little. But it's not Franklin that convinces him. Nope. It is Delenn and Kosh hiding in the hallway. Yeah. 
they're hanging out in the hallway and they are insistent that he release Morden. And he's just incredulous. He can't, he can't believe these people would get involved. Right. And why? Yeah. So- Delenn, why are you not on my side? And Kosh, why do you care? You know, because for Kosh to take an interest in something means, you know, is out of the ordinary. Yes. Yeah. Kosh is famously hands off with everyone yeah. on this station. And so why does he care about this one random dude being in a holding cell? Yeah. So we get to find out why. So Delenn explains that there there was a war with these shadows. And the, it sounds like the first war was 10,000 years ago. Or there was sure there was one 10,000 right? years ago. Yeah. But, you know, the Mimbari and other first ones allied together to defeat the shadows. I'm not sure if that was the one 10,000 years ago, if that was. 1, that was the one 1,000 years ago. OK, yes. Yep. And now that we've only got one first one race left. Yep. The Voilons. And but they're not letting everyone know that they're first ones. Yeah, but it's kind of obvious, right? I think so. <laughs> They're the ones that are like mysterious technology and don't explain anything about themselves. And it's like, if there's going to be a first one race, it's them, right? Right. (laughs) Like they're not, they're not, it's not, hey, we're super chummy and everybody's best friends. And then it's like, wait, you're actually 5 million years old? You know, it's, oh, who's the, the person drawing the most attention in this room? Is it the guy in the encounter suit who's looming over everybody saying cryptic stuff? Uh, yeah, <laughs> it was it was pretty obvious. So we get a nice, fun little black and white flashback. Yep, we get a flashback to Jenga Tower Delenn. <laughs> We've been calling it the Cones of Denshire. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but Jenga Tower is good, too. It's like, it's like, you know, how 3D chess and Star Trek changed? Like, yes. maybe Jenga is all about the triangles in... 2250. So she she asked a question at the end of that last episode of season one, but we don't know what the question was. We know what the right. answer was. And the answer was yes. Now we find out the question. What is have the shadows returned? Sorry, I was doing it in Jeopardy form. <laughs> Jeopardy style. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> have the shadows returned? Yes. And the answer was yes. So Kosh has confirmed that the shadows have returned. And then Kosh like does this thing where he like projects an image maybe into Sheridan's mind. I think that's how we're supposed to take it. An image or like his own memories. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. But he suddenly gets to experience it. Yeah. He gets to experience the Icarus mm-hmm. and what the Icarus did. And for some reason, Delenn is able to narrate this image. So maybe she's seeing the same thing at the same time. I don't know. Well, and also it makes me wonder how did Kosh get these images? Yeah. Is it what his thoughts of the situation are? Mm-hmm. Or is it some sort of they were actually able to like spy on Zaha Doom psychically? Right. Those are questions I had too, but I don't have good answers for them. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, maybe he's just conjecturing and he's projecting this image, but it's the Icarus. They went to look up the remains of a dead civilization. And Sheridan knew that part, you know. I don't know why. We hadn't connected before this that the Icarus was at Zaha Doom. Like, surely he had the flight plan of yeah, the Icarus and, and all Jakar's those files. Been yelling about this planet for a year. <laughs> and Jakar's been yelling about this planet for a year. So, like, again, <laughs> some of Jared the. would be like, wait a minute, the place my wife died? Right. It's like some <laughs> of the plot doesn't line up. Like, you can't, I, I don't know, maybe they were keeping maybe they the all flight have... plan a secret, but I don't, I don't or see how that. it's a situation that... of translation errors where they all called the planet different stuff Mm -hmm. but you feel like they'd have that somehow worked out you know it's jakar's running around worrying you're warning everybody don't go to constantinople and (laughs) sheridan's just like man my wife died in istanbul (laughs) and you know he's not able to square the circle there that's nobody's business about the turks yeah i would think that if you just put Put your hands on a map real quick. You can get yeah. rid of that. But... This place, this place right here. Nobody yeah. go here. It's real bad. Yeah, but apparently, you know, that that's where they were. We didn't know mm-hmm. it until now that the Icarus was at Zahadun, but it was. And they either woke up the shadows there or I just accidentally stumbled on some shadows there who were doing stuff. I think the, the story is that they woke them up. Yes. That it was humans arrival. That made them be active. Yeah. Sheridan's overwhelmed. Delenn confirms that 
anybody who was on this ship, John, that wouldn't serve would have been killed. Right. And so he's what like, you but have... prisoners, like maybe they keep prisoners. Yeah, they're like, he's... no, dude. He's trying to keep the dream alive. But the, what you have in there, in that cell, that is a man who chose to serve. <laughs> yeah. So you've got to let him go because he's not alone. And, you know, if you tip our hand too early, we're not going to be ready to fight them. Right. And then she compares John's situation now to Jakar's earlier in the season. Like, you can get revenge right now or... <laughs> Yeah. You can actually do something for the good of others. You got to choose between yourself. Yeah. Getting getting that revenge right now could mean we all die. Yeah. And boy, this just gets real dark if you keep thinking about how Jakar has been warning us about Zahadum for a year now. Right? Exactly. And Delenn and Kosh have both known about that, about his warnings about Zahadum. And basically, they've chosen to let the Narn suffer and die yeah. right now. Do we think that they know that the shadows are why the Centauri are winning the war? I mean, they've got to have a hint about it, right? They've got right. to have a suspicion, even if, it, even if there's plausible deniability right now. Like, why are these two races that should be having a more evenly matched war, why, why is it going so one-sided? Yeah. Uh, especially, well, I don't know if they know about the link between Morden and Londo, do they? We don't have a clear, I don't, I don't have a think clear so. scene that connects that Delenn and Kosh would know that. Sheridan knows that. So I'm, I presume they would find that in short order. Yeah, but. it's got to be coming, right? Ugh, but boy, we now we know that they've chosen to like sacrifice the Narn. Pro probably yep. chosen to sacrifice the Narn. And Sheridan gives his little analogy about this too. Yep. You know, he gives everybody a history lesson, especially I love this, this uh, canon that Zach doesn't know history. Right. <laughs> it's, it's very good. It makes Zach very, um, oh, you know, he's got to have this down to earth projection, very every man and not. But I mean, at the same time, how much would your average person know about a war 250 years ago? Yeah. Or 300 years ago? Because it's oh gosh, it'd be more twenty two fifty nine to nineteen forty. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So how many? How much does somebody know about you know the Seven Years' War or whatever? Like beyond the surface, too. Like yeah. yeah. He's talking about specifics. You know, and this this uh, analogy he gives is very good. Oh, it's a great um, analogy. I love it. You know, he tells us the story about how the British broke, or the, at least the Allies broke, the Germans' Enigma Code. In World War II, and they have intercepted a message that you know the city of Coventry was going to be bombed, and they had the choice of do we give away that we've broken this code by evacuating the city of Coventry, or do we do nothing and let the city get bombed? Yeah, yeah, keep intercepting messages, maybe save other lives through that, but you know these lives are gone. And uh, it's a real decision from Winston Churchill, and Sheridan clearly feels like. Churchill in this moment. If he lets Morden go, people are going to die. But if he doesn't, then he tips the whole war into the now. Yeah. So. The thing that gets me, though, is like at this point, he shouldn't have as many reservations as he seems to because he knows what the story is. Like, yeah, mm -hmm. he knows Morden is a bad guy, but he knows he's not responsible for anything that happened to his wife. Yeah. So. All of those fears and are assuaged. It's not like he, you know, sold them off or blew up the ship or something. It's, hey, they went to, a, you know, a galactic bad neighborhood mm -hmm. and, you know, were either subjugated or killed. I found a guy who's subjugated. Mm -hmm. I already know everything I need to know. Morden can't tell me anything about the yeah. Icarus that I don't know now. Yeah. So it feels like it's a, you know, I also, but I also know it's a very emotional like everybody who was on this thing are supposed to be dead you know moment yeah. for him so it might not be as easy to just be like well yeah then let him go <laughs> well and he he's probably taking a lot more of like personal responsibility into it as you know he he didn't do the right thing and just die he chose to be a subject and yes like we have a little bit more sophisticated understanding of power sometimes 
in this day and age and that like doing the right thing, the right thing, which is to die is not necessarily like a choice you can make when you're faced with overwhelming power. So I I don't know. Yeah. He's bringing a lot of that energy to it and making Warden kind of the symbol of he's, he's not a fan of collaborators. Yeah. Even if it's, Hey, who's this or get murdered on an alien planet. Now the fact that Morden seems to enjoy it, (laughs) okay maybe morden's a piece of piece of junk (laughs) yeah yeah but we don't know how much of the real morden is still in there to be honest like is is this just who he was and he was a real ski well i mean in the icarus photo he had that same creepy dead-eyed stare (laughs) (laughs) i think it's very possible that this is just who he is it's more fun okay who who wants to help us subjugate the galaxy he was like yes this is my dream. <laughs> Here for it. The shadows are like, dude, you're a little underhanded even for us. I should think you'd be grateful. <laughs> Dial it back. You're a little much. So he does need a little bit more to let this go, though. And mm-hmm. he he hears some weird stuff from the cell and makes Zach start scanning it on different wavelengths. And Sheridan gets to see the shadows next to Morton. Very briefly, Zach is his back has turned. He saw nothing. And that's it. <laughs> he knows they're there. He's ready to ready to accept it and let Morton go. Absolutely. He's like, okay, we're done here. Like, it's been confirmed for me. I can it's all real now. I, it's not theoretical. I've seen it. Morton stares at the camera, nice and creepy. Yeah, straight out of uh, Psycho. I, I don't know if, if he looks like Norman Bates on purpose, but I, I really get strong Norman Bates staring right down the barrel of the camera vibes from Morton. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ed Wasser is so good at this, right? Oh, he's fantastic. He's just great. This show would not be the same without him. And then we get Sheridan going to Garibaldi. And yep. giving him back his gun and his badge and apologizing for being wrong. Garibaldi accepts it better than I would have thought. Yeah, he accepts it real quick. Yeah. Sheridan promises it won't happen again. And that seems to be enough for Garibaldi. I mean, considering how reluctant he was to accept Sheridan at the beginning of all this, you almost would have expected a little more resistance to this. But Oh, and then as Sheridan's leaving, Zach shows up and... He's got a night watch armband. Yep. Yeah. He's doing the armband and he tells Garibaldi, he's like, hey, they're offering me a little extra money to just do what I do. So, yeah. yeah. Zach is, he's the everyman. Like, who would turn that down? You know, if it was just, hey, walk around and if you see something weird, tell somebody. I think a lot of people would take that deal. Yeah. Especially for extra money. Like, well, and, and like, if I'm going to like make some sort of guess, like for an extra $200 a week, mm-hmm. you know, what would you, you know, how far would you go? Yep. So that's, that's a big moral question that we got to wonder about. Yep. <laughs> and then we go see Kosh to round out the episode. He tells, Sheridan tells him I released him and now I want to learn how to beat these shadows at Zaha Doom. And we get the big important line. If you go to Zaha Doom, you will die. Yeah, but Sheridan doesn't care. Nope. And Kosh says, okay, I'll teach you. End of episode. So, Ben, I have to ask you another important question. We've posed each other a few important questions, and it's been wonderful. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you feel about this episode on a scale from Babylon's 1 to Babylon's 5? I really, really like this episode. Like, I did have some issues with it. Like, there are some things that feel like a little bit of plot holies, but mm-hmm. I also don't know the Earth Dome legal code. Maybe they've only got like seven laws and that's why Garibaldi is able to be security chief. So I found like parts of it really compelling. I found the juxtaposition of, okay, we've spent 17 episodes with Sheridan. So we know he's a good guy. So Mm -hmm. we're able to excuse some of his stuff. Whereas the Night Watch Ministry of Peace stuff comes off as way more ominous. So we, the viewer, are able to put things in different contexts, but still enjoy the juxtapositions next to each other. And then also it's just a wonderful Morden showcase. So I'm going to give it a Babylon 4. Okay. Yeah. I I don't think I can quite get to Babylon 4 because of the plot holes, but it's, gosh, it's such an important like plot driver, you know, for the overall story. I would, I probably land in 3.5 just because of the the plot holy nature of some of this. (laughs) Yeah. But you get the, 
great veer scene and then we do you get, get the veer you know kosh actually explaining something <laughs> yeah we get some good cgi with a icarus like it's pretty good quality i don't know i guess you could talk me into four um, 3.5 i i wouldn't argue with it's above average for sure yes. i think we can both agree on that for sure okay well hopefully on our next episode jafer will be back <laughs> i hope so <laughs> Yeah, not that it's not been great having you on. Thank you so much, Ben, for sitting in and talking Babylon 5 with me. It's been a hoot. It was my pleasure. And also, thank you to Jeremy Siegel for our theme music. You can find more of him at jeremysegel42.bandcamp.com. And also thank you to Angry Duck Time Machine on Instagram for our podcast art. And thank you to everybody else for listening and being here with us today. If you want to join conversations on our Discord, you can email us at whoareyoub5 at gmail.com. And we will get you a link to our Discord, or you can just send us your thoughts there. That's fine, too. And make sure you come back and join us next week for Season 2, Episode 18, Confessions and Lamentations. Ancient beliefs, contemporary ignorance, and futuristic medicine clash when a plague threatens the station. Oh, boy. That just sounds like the perfect episode for Javert to come back. So we'll see you next week, Internet. Bye. Bye.